And uh, now, can we, Norman is just preparing himself uh, as he comes up to preach. So we'll just give him a bit of space. Because as I said, when I first came in, he required a lot of space to move around at the front. Uh, his PA team is just sorting him out. Um, now, I'm actually quite used to introducing Norman. Um, we were in eldership together up in Bury St Edmunds in Suffolk for uh, around five years. And I used to often make jokes at his expense, as you, I'm sure you might find that difficult to believe. But um, I, I actually have got nothing sarcastic to say this time. I just want to honour Norman. He uh, is actually a real father in the faith to me. Um, he led me really to Christ and introduced me to Jesus as he has done many, many people. He was the foundation really, as he talked about doing the foundation classes, he's putting good foundations into this church. And Norman and Carol's faithfulness to, to move from Biggin Hill is uh, something to really be honored and admired. So Norman Blows, we just wanna honor you and let's give him a very warm welcome. That's very kind of you, um, Ian. I never expected anything so eloquent from you at all. <laughs> I'm overwhelmed. Um, thank you very much for letting us come and just uh, be with you again. Such a delight to see how this building's being used and to hear what we just heard today. Just so fabulous. Um, exactly what we wanted. We wanted a barn and a barn to enable us to reach the community. And that's exactly what's happening. So well done, Ian. Uh, and, and your team, just superb. I'm going to uh, ask you, if you bring your Bibles with you, uh, if you brought your Bibles with you, to turn to Luke chapter 13. And I'm just going to read a little bit of scripture, and I'm really going to preach from uh, a verse in that bit of scripture. So it's Luke chapter 13, and I'm going to uh, read from actually verse 10 down to 17. And uh, this is just a day, uh, it uh, refers to a day called the Sabbath, which was the Jewish day when they had uh, uh, time off their work and they would come together and honour God. Uh, we now do that on a Sunday to celebrate uh, Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Uh, but this is the Sabbath, and so we're in Luke chapter 13, verse 10. It says this, On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and he said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. And when he said this, all 
his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things Jesus was doing. This is an amazing little bit of scripture. It embodies the joy that fires this church. The joy of this man, Jesus. This man, Jesus, who was sent into this world in order that ordinary people like you and I could find a relationship with God the Father. Extraordinary. And, you know, into this situation where we find him now, we are, we are sort of, we've got one foot in the Old Testament and one foot in the New, as it were. Because the people in this synagogue have been faithfully guarding the scriptures, books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and all those books, Ezekiel. They've been faithfully following the scriptures. They've been delighted at all the richness that are in the scriptures that we have in our Old Testament. And they don't realize that this day, they have the fulfillment of those scriptures amongst them in Jesus Christ. Let me give you a bit of a history lesson. In the Old Testament, in order that men and women like you and I could find forgiveness for the things that they did wrong in their, in their sinful ways, they were told, you know, you need to bring uh, maybe a lamb or maybe a dove if you can't afford a lamb or whatever, and this is the, it's going to cost you. It's the best you have. And you offer it to the priest, and the priest receives it as your offering. And that is a token of the forgiveness that God has given to you. And they've been doing that faithfully. They've been teaching that faithfully. And actually, there's also been a hope in them. Because the hope is there richly in the book of Isaiah. You probably remember it from days, Christmases, when you heard it read. Uh, you know, Isaiah 53, speaking of this Messiah coming and being born in a stable, being born in Bethlehem, a place that, I don't know, is as famous as Pengeast. You know, it's just sort of, where's Bethlehem? And there was this hope as well that a day would come when the Messiah would come who will be the fulfillment of all the books that they were studying. And in front of them on this day, in Luke 13, the fulfillment of those promises of God are fulfilled by this man. How do I know that? Well, I know it because in Luke 4, verse 18, a little bit before, on a same Sabbath day, uh, it just happened to be that the Bible reading for the day was actually from Isaiah. And Jesus stood up, opened the scroll, and read the words. And the words that he read applied to him. And yet they were just the scroll for the day. These were the words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners 
and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he read it. It was the, the scripture of the day. But then he said something which was remarkable. He then said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Because he was declaring that the promise of God, that a day would come when all the ritual, all the, the, the sacrifice that had been made would be fulfilled, not in another sacrifice of what they had, but in God himself coming a being amongst them. And although it hadn't happened by this Luke 13, it was, if you know your story, you probably know a little bit of what it is, is that Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice for our sin. In order that we should become religious? No, no, no. In order that we might have a relationship with God. And he is teaching the people. The day of jubilee has come. I'm here. Not that he was boasting about himself. Because actually, his giving himself on our behalf was very costly. For he was to be treated like a criminal. He was to be strung up on a cross. He was to be spat at. Even though he had healed the sick and raised the dead and shown people the love of God the Father. And so the Bible says in a very famous passage of John 3.16, it says something that you could probably quote to me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that all that would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life and then he adds this for God didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him what a day. What a day this is. Jesus is preaching in the synagogue. And I want you to just look at this little verse. It's just, it's all it's tied up in that verse uh, 11. And it says, And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and he said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. What a day. What a day. Let me tell you, that day is still here. That day is still here. Glory! Despite what people say, oh, you know, there's no God. That day is still here. 
And me standing in front of you, and probably a lot of you would be able to express this as well, are the recipients of that day. As a young 14-year-old, I went away to, I think it was Pons F, on a crusader camp. I just love sport and all that sort of stuff. And on one of the evenings, a guy stood up and he held up a painting, a very famous painting, by a man called Holman Hunt. You probably never heard of him. But actually, I think in St. Paul's Cathedral today, his painting still hangs. Actually, he did three copies of it, but his original one. And he painted it in, uh, in the 1800s because he himself had found relationship with Jesus. He'd grown up feeling that Christianity was all about rules and regulations. But one day he found relationship with Jesus. God's always intended that we would find relationship with him. That's why it says, because God so loved the world that he sent his son. He didn't tell us what we had to do. He came himself to demonstrate the love of of God to all those around us. And I remember this guy holding this painting up. And it's a painting which if you Google it, you will be able to find it. It actually, Hohenhaupt painted it at night because he wanted the light of God to shine on his painting. It shows Jesus holding a lantern with a candle or something in it and he's standing outside a door. And the door, you know, has not been opened for years. There are briars and there are cobwebs. There is dirt all over this door. It has not moved for ages. Actually, he said of the door, he said, the door has no handle on it. This is what he said of his painting. He said, and can therefore only be opened from the inside. And that represents, and he spoke of himself, that represents the obstinately shut mind that I once had to God. But he found relationship with God. And actually, when you look at the painting, all around the entrance where the door, when it would open, was, was all sorts of fruit but it was all rotting on the ground. And he painted that because he wanted to see, he realized that all those years when he'd lived his life his way and done what he wanted, he'd missed all the fruit that God could have brought in his life up to that point. And there it was, his best efforts rotting on the floor. But his painting represented what had happened to him. What had happened to him was, he said, it's a verse in the Bible in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where Jesus speaks and says this, behold, we don't say behold very much, do we, these days? I suppose another way of saying it would be, here I am. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice, and opens the door. I 
says God, will come in and eat with him and him with me. And Holman was so trans changed, transformed by finding relationship with Jesus. And he thought, I want people to know what's happened in me. He was part of the what they call pre-Raphaelite painters. But he, he, he didn't have words to explain what had happened. So he said, but what I do have is a talent to paint. So I will paint a painting which says more than the words I could ever speak or say. And they did say, well, you've, you've forgotten the door handle. And he said, no, I was so obstinate that actually it needed Jesus' constant knocking for me to hear him and open the door. Joe, in our family, we have a famous artist. Actually, it's my wife's father who's not alive now. His name is W.G. or his name was an insight, but W.G. Morton. We called him, or he was called Bill. I didn't call him Bill, I was very polite because I was asking him if I could marry his daughter, you understand. But uh, his painting actually can be seen not very far from here in Chartwell. If you go to Chartwell, one of his paintings, very often the last picture in Chartwell is the picture he was commissioned to paint of Churchill's funeral, with all the, the barges taking the coffin down the Thames and so on and so forth. And in our house, we have lots of paintings that he painted. Actually, when he died, we had we found the drawers with paintings stuck in it. If you're an artist here, I don't know, if only I could paint something, I would be pleased. But the paintings that he painted and probably wasn't happy with all stuffed in the drawers, we've had some of them framed and we've got lots in our house. But above my fireplace, there is a painting of a boat sailing on the River Ald near Aldborough. Actually, Carol and I were there on last uh, Friday, actually. And sometimes when I look at the painting, I think I can see the ship moving. And sometimes I think I can see the clouds moving across the sky. It is magnificent. it reminds me of what God has done in my life. See, if I think about it with my head, I think, I can't really understand God. I can't understand how he could create the world. People have got all sorts of ideas about that. And yet, one thing I notice in the world is that when men and women haven't ruined it, there is amazing beauty. Yeah. Have you noticed that? We're jolly good at ruining things, aren't we? We are good at it. But actually, if we can get past the things that we ruin, there is amazing beauty. And I'm not capable of beauty. I'm not capable of amazing things myself. But do you know, there is a God who wants to get hold of me, who wants to change me, who wants to make me different. And um, C.S. Lewis, who you've probably heard about because he wrote things like The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. But in a book called The Weight of Glory, he talks about what God did when God got hold of him. He said, I was like the paintbrush that painted a magnificent painting. 
If you were to talk to a paintbrush, I, I know I seem a bit strange and I don't actually do this, is this still on? Um, but if you were to talk to a paintbrush and say, now, you can only move in two directions, can't you? Up and down and left and right. Yes, that's all I can do and that's all I understand. And yet, you've produced this amazing picture that, like the one in my house, when I look at it, I can see bits of aura that I know. And I can see the sea and the sky and the stars and all sorts of things that are absolutely magnificent. And yet this paintbrush has produced this picture, but it only can think in two dimensions. How did it do it? I tell you how it does it. It's because a master artist got hold of the brush. And when the master artist gets hold of the brush, he moves the brush in such a way that his magnificence and his glory can be seen by others. That's what's happened to me. And that's what's about to happen to this lady. She see, Jesus is teaching, but he's not so full of himself that he doesn't actually notice those who are listening. And it says he saw a woman who was there. Are you aware that God sees you? Are you aware that God knows everything about you? Are you aware that God knows your intimate thoughts? He was there before you were born and he saw you, the Bible says, before you were even formed in your mother's womb. He sees us. He knows about us. And he has got a plan for this woman as he has a plan for you. And he, the Bible says, he calls her forward. How embarrassing. Particularly as she is bent over and has been like this for 18 long years. He calls her forward because he wants to take this woman and put his mark on her, his hand on her. He wants to bring an end to the suffering that this woman has suffered under this spirit of infirmity. He wants to do the same for you. He wants to do the same for me. For we suffer under an infirmity, which is our willfulness to do our own thing, to go our own way and think we are God. The night I became a Christian and the guy held up that painting, I realized that even my best efforts didn't match what God wanted to bring about in my life. And on that evening, it was as though, as I asked Jesus into my life, it was as though I said, Lord, would you put your hand on my heart? Would you get hold of this brush that doesn't deserve the master's hand to be upon it? And will you begin to move me in ways that will bring glory to your name and not to me? It's what he wants to do for you. It's what he's about to do for this lady. She's crippled over. She's bent. She's under this infirmity. And yet God himself has the power to release from sin and release from the consequences of sin on lives. He calls her forward. Do you know that God knows everything about you? There's a little passage, it is in uh, Hebrews chapter 
4 verse 12, it says this, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The truth is that every single one of us will die. Every single one of us, the Bible says, will stand before his throne and give an account of our lives. Do you believe that? So now I, uh, when I worked in, I worked at Orkins College, I was a lecturer in the college there, and uh, there was um, a friend of mine called John who was, um, he was a, uh, a science teacher actually. We used to share lifts to get from Biggin Hill to Orpington. And one day, as we were driving, he told me about uh, when he'd been on holiday in Spain. And uh, he was suddenly aware as he was swimming that uh, the riptide was beginning to take him further and further out from the shore. And he could see his family and his wife and his children on the beach. And he could not prevent himself from being drawn away from them by the riptide. Now, he was saved by the the, uh, lifeguards, actually. But as he told me that, he said, do you know what, Norman? He said, in that moment, when I thought I was going to die, it was as though the whole of my life passed in front of my eyes. And I said to him, John, John, it's what I talked to you about on many occasions. It's God showing you that a day is coming when you will have to give an account to him. And everything we do, he sees. He knows about everything we do. And yet he wants to come and he wants to bring release from that. He wants to set us free. How? By us acknowledging that he is God. And that when Jesus died on the cross, he died in our place to pay the price for our sin that we couldn't pay for ourselves. That's why he calls us forward. That's why he says to this lady, come forward. Because he's not calling us to some mysterious religious experience. He's calling us to relationship. He's calling us to be alongside him. He's calling us that he might say, let me put my hand on you and bring forgiveness into your life and make you new and give you a purpose that you've not had all the time you were trying to produce fruit of your own, which is actually rotting on the floor around you. That's what happened earlier when I was 14. He put his hand on me. But I had to come forward. I had to say, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life. A lady says to me, a dear friend of mine, actually, I walk my dog um, a lot in Seven Oaks and in the woods just there. there. And there's a lady called Jane. She's, uh, I think she's in her 80s now, um, but uh, she used to be a judge. And uh, we got talking. When I told her I used to teach maths and science, she, she said, I'm really surprised that you're a Christian, you know, doing that sort of thing. And we've had more and more conversation. But one day she said to me, what do you mean when you say Jesus is your Lord? And I said to her, it means that I'm not in charge of me anymore. I've asked him to be in charge of me. And do you know what? Even though it's almost an impossible task, he's taken me at my word. (laughs) And he's changed me, and I don't deserve it. It's like this lady, 
She's just picked out from the crowd. She doesn't deserve this. But Jesus sees her. Jesus calls her forward and then Jesus speaks to her. I believe Jesus is talking to some of you this morning. And he's saying, you could be one of the brushes in my hand. You could be one who walks with me, allowing me to produce fruit in your life instead of you trying to do your best to make yourself look good. You see, I'm not saying that God is not interested in our efforts or the things we do or the time we give to others. He just wants so that because of our sinfulness, we're bound. We're, as it were, almost as it were, bent over trying to make ourselves look good. He says, I want you to come to me and let me put my hand on you. I want to change you from the inside out. Actually, it's one of the amazing promises in Jeremiah. Let me read it to you. It says, this is the covenant, says God, I will establish with the people of Israel and with us as followers. After that time, declares the Lord, I'll put my laws in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. See, what it's saying is, as we come to God, he changes us from in, within and he puts his thoughts into our hearts. We suddenly want to please him rather than please ourselves. And the best that we could do up to that point becomes so much more wonderful because he's now in charge. That's what I was saying about the building. When we started off with this building, you know, 300,000, I, I thought I could cope. I thought 300,000, I suppose it's manageable. I thought, well, you know, a little bit of money here, a little bit of money there. And it's almost like God said, well, so you know you're not going to do it yourself. What we'll do is we'll move the, the you know, the, the, the sort of, oh, I'm losing this again, Ian. I'll, I, 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 I'm going to move the, 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 the goal. Instead of what you think you can do, it goes from 300,000 to 1.6 million. How are you going to do it now? Let me tell you, I learned dependence on God. This church learned that actually ordinary people like us can have the hand of God moving on our lives in such a way that Dorothy Pierce's suddenly appear and buy a cake. Yeah. Or lots of other miracles. We had a lady in this church who we supported financially. She was a widow. We supported her financially because she didn't have two pennies to rub together. And we blessed her and she came to Christ. And then, as happens to all of us, she died and we buried her. And then I had a phone call one day from a solicitor saying, you know, Mrs. So-and-so who was in this church? Yes, I said. We, re we supported her. Yes. She's left the legacy to the church. I said, what? She didn't have any money. She said, no, she's left the legacy to the church. You see, what happened? Her husband had died, left her some money, but she didn't know that the money was there. So we're supporting it. It's almost like, but it came at, I, I, I'm not exaggerating this. I was on my knees in my office asking God, we need this certain amount of money for the next thing that's being done in the building. And while I'm still on my knees, the phone rang and the solicitor said to me, what the conversation I just told you. 
I didn't know how, don't know how this works in. You know, I can't remember the last time I've been. Very small ears. I have got small ears. Small legs, small ears. That that money was given by this dear lady. That that was just one of the miracles. Miracle after miracle. Listen, this is what happens when we put our hands in God's hands. Our lives in God's hands. It's happening to this lady. Let me read it again. It says, it says, um, she was bent over and couldn't straighten. Jesus saw her, called her, and said to her, Woman, you're set free from your infirmity. And he said to her, Then he put his hand on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. That's what Jesus wants to do for us. Listen, I'd like to give the opportunity that I was given. I was given an opportunity on an evening to say, if you want to respond to this Jesus, you may not know a tremendous amount about him, but the little that we've told you has started something in you where you feel, I do want to get to know this God. And I do realize I need help. And I do know that uh, the things that, I, that, that trouble me, that my, my guilt and so on, I, I, I can't get rid of it on my own, but Lord, the Bible says that this Jesus died in my place. I do want to know more about that. And they, they just said, if you want that, I'm going to ask you. But they said, we're just going to ask you to stand up. Now, I was 14 and I was so nervous. I was very shy. But I thought, that's what I want. I tried being good. If you could, my, my mother's not alive now, but if you could ask my mother, she, she would say, oh, he, he's trying all right. <laughs> I tried to be good. I did my best. I could keep it up for about three minutes. Some of you have tried. But listen, Jesus has made a way. He's given himself that the, the, the infirmity of sin would be broken. The, see, it all comes from Adam and Eve who decided... They lived in God's garden, but they wanted to do it their own way. And they listened to the evil one who said, you know, God doesn't love you like that. And they listened and fell for the lie. We've all done it. And we've all thought I could do it my way. But listen, we can't. But there's a God in heaven who's given himself to break the barrier of sin and set us free. And we will all one day stand before him and give an account. Do you know what my account's going to be? I've got a list of, Lord, I did this, and Lord, I did that. I tried that. My account will be, that man, Jesus, he gave himself for me. And when I asked him to be my Lord, he got hold of me, and he started to move me in his way. And as a result, my life has been so incredibly exciting because there's no longer rotten old fruit lying all around the floor. There is the effects of his work on me and on my friends. He wants that for you. Yeah. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. But I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do because I know, like this lady being called forward, it was very probably very embarrassing for her. And Jesus didn't want her to be a spectacle and Jesus doesn't want you to be a spectacle. But I'm going to do this. I'm going to say in a moment or two, 
If you want to just take a step in the right direction to follow Jesus, then I'm going to ask you to join me in standing. It will take courage, it will take effort, just to stand up where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you. When you've done that, I'm then going to ask everybody else to stand with you so that you disappear again. But you've made an indication to God, I do want to ask you to be the Lord of my life. I do want to investigate this further. And then I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to make it up as I go along. It's going to be something like, Lord God, I realize I need your help. And I want you to put to my account the forgiveness that you gained for me on the cross. Something like that. And I'm going to ask you to say it out loud, but I'm going to ask everybody to say it out loud with you. So you will not be, but it actually the transaction will be between you and God. And my experience is this, that whenever people do that, God sets them free in the way that he set this woman free. It said he laid his hands on her and immediately. Yeah. There is an immediate work of God that transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And I can't explain it, but then the brush, the, the, the two-dimensional brush can't explain the wonders of God. I don't even try to explain it. All I know is, when he does it, he produces a masterpiece. Yeah. And he wants to produce a masterpiece of you. He wants to bring you into a relationship where you can start to grow in God. And you can start to realize that there's no longer a barrier between you and him. Maybe you've had thoughts about God being like an old headmaster with a stick, you know, ready to belt you. That's not the picture in the Bible. There is a picture of great mercy. He saw this woman. He knew what was going on. He sees you, he knows you, and he has the answer for your troubles. So, I'm only five or six, and I am, but I am standing up. <laughs> if you say, I do want to take a step to just discover more of this Jesus, and I want to ask him to come into my life and start working in me, then now I'm just going to ask you, would you quietly just stand, please? Just join me in standing. It's just an opportunity for you to respond. Well done, thank you. Anybody else? Are you standing? Well done, thank you. Anyone else? Could I ask everybody to stand, please? I'm going to ask now that we all just pray this prayer. Listen, if you stood, you can make it your own. Actually, if you didn't stand, you can still make this your own. Uh, you know, it's not just, oh, I, you can say what I say. I'm going to say these words and then repeat them. You can just repeat them. But actually, you're doing a translation for God, with God. Make the words your own. Let's just pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you now. I confess my need to be forgiven. And I ask you to put to my account the forgiveness that you gained for me on the cross. I don't deserve it, Lord. But I receive it. 
I want friendship with you. And I know you want friendship with me. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. So that I have your power within me. To daily overcome. And to live a life that pleases you. Put your hand on me, Lord. And I give you permission to now start leading me in this direction and that. That I might please you and do your will. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, I just want to pray for the two folk that stood, and I want to pray for everyone who's in this building, for those who will come in in the years to come. I want to ask that, Lord, you'd take them forward now, that the, the power of your Holy Spirit will cause them to live lives that glorify you, not through their own efforts, but by the power of the Holy Spirit working in them. Come and fill them. Let the joy of Jesus be in them. And Father, if there are others who would dearly love to have have stood, and I I know that's often the case, some of my best friends have been in that place, Lord, nevertheless, let them still move forward towards you, because you constantly are knocking on the door, and you will not stop knocking right until the end of their lives. So thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.